Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. They came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Um. Like I was saying before service started, we have officially gone past the point of no return in the Gospel of Mark. And there's my Halloween sermon thing for today. Past the point of no return. Explicit Phantom of the Opera reference. Yeah. Past the point of no return. All right. We've crossed the Rubicon. Maybe that will work, right? We crossed the Rubicon, right? So... Uh, Caesar crosses the Rubicon River. He has committed, we're going to go to civil war. I can't go back, right? Okay. Everyone gets it. No more messianic secret. Everyone's going to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Explicitly today, uh, the son of David, the rightful heir to the throne, right? The little town of Bethlehem, all that. Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. He's the son of David. Um, I forgot to take a, a poll before service, as I planned on. Uh, there's going to be a lot today about the Babylonian exile. Does anyone know what that is? Raise, raise your hand. Babylonian exile, Babylonian captivity. All right. So, let's start there. So, today in Jeremiah, we have Jeremiah speaking. We have him prophesying. Literally, if you read the Jeremiah text and you read the gospel, it's as though Jeremiah is watching the events of the gospel text and describing them in the words God has given him in the ancient days, beat for beat. Um, Just to give a little pretext, Um, Has anyone here ever heard of King Hezekiah? I know there's lots of kings back in the day. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. Um, There's lots of kings back in the day, and they all kind of have these phonetic names, Hezekiah, Zedekiah. You know, that's not a a king, but it sounds like Hezekiah. Uh, Anyways, 
Hezekiah didn't always walk in the ways of the Lord, and that's bad, uh, especially when you're responsible for being the king of Israel, God's chosen people. And so um, God, because of the willful disobedience, both of Hezekiah and the people of Israel, you know, when, when God gives that promised land to the people of Israel, he says, it is not because of how you behave or what you do that you have this land, but by my grace that you have this land. And he says, if you ever go against my commands, then I'll just send you out of that land. And guess what? He makes good on that promise with Hezekiah the king. Because Hezekiah the king gets chased all the way to Jericho by the bad guys, the Assyrians. And there in Jericho, Hezekiah is caught by the Assyrians, specifically the king of Assyria, and they proceed to put to death all of his sons so that they can't rise up and, you know, uh, become his, uh, his heir. And then they blind Hezekiah. They pull out his eyes so that that was the last thing that he saw before he went blind. If you can begin to imagine, this is how we start to connect into the gospel reading today. Anyways. The king, King Hezekiah, all of the faithful people of God, they get taken into captivity or taken away from the promised land, Israel, and they get taken to live in Babylon, in other places, in exile, away from where they ought to be, where God promised them. And if you can begin to imagine, we can start to see ourselves in those people of Israel. Being in captivity, being in subjectivity, being um, uh, exiled from where we ought to be. Sometimes we feel like strangers in a strange land, right? And the thing is, is that, you know, we're not explicitly under exile by this bad king. We're under exile by a worse king, uh, the devil. Evil, death, our sin, original sin, all sorts of bad things we had been living in exile under. Whether it be the devil lying to you, saying that, oh no, just go with your gut. Don't search the scriptures. Don't read God's word. Or um, uh, there's this thing that you should feel embarrassed about at your church and you shouldn't even go. You don't want to show yourself before all those people. Or, I don't know, the fear of death, the fear of disease, the fear of getting sick, whether it be bodily, I am unable to move the way I used to, or literally cough, cough sick, or even our own sin. The tantalizing uh, and wonderful sounding lie that there's nothing I have to apologize for. I can just keep on going and hide my shame. All these things we are under captivity under. And so we're led to pray with the Old Testament people of God what they would pray every chance they got. Jeremiah 31, verse 7. 
O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. O Yahweh, O God, please save your people, the remnant of Israel. We know who the remnant is because of a sermon, I don't know how many weeks ago. Leftovers. The faithful leftovers, the faithful remnant, no matter how few that still believe in God's promises, God's promises to be merciful, compassionate, to deliver, to bring back to the promised land. Have mercy on those people, O Lord. That is what they would pray every Saturday, every day, as often as they gathered. Because they couldn't worship in their temple, right? They were in exile. And so, God makes all sorts of promises. Because he's going to respond to that prayer. Because he doesn't forget his people in the same way that he expects that we don't forget that he delivered us out of slavery in Egypt, right? Remember the promise that I made to your father Abraham. All of these things. God says, Behold, I will bring them. I will bring them from the north country. Remember Jericho? where Hezekiah was chased, brought into captivity with all the rest of you guys, and brought far off, I'm going to go there and bring them back. I'm going to gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. I don't know, even one day Alaska. God doesn't say that specifically. People don't know where Alaska is yet. He's going to say, he says, I'm going to bring back the blind, the lame. Interesting enough, pregnant women who are in labor. All of the people that are at the utter mercy and help of others. People that most people would say, oh, they're not self-sufficient. They're worthless. I'm going to go and get them too. And he says, with weeping, they will come. Because they are sad. They're broken. They're hurt. They miss home, right? With pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. And that is the message of the Bible. With pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. First, the mission is to lead the fallen Adam and Eve back to the garden, right? With the presence of God walking with them. Then it's to lead them to the promised land, lead them back. And then when they get taken into captivity, the people of God... God says, one day, when I will respond to your pleas for mercy, I will lead you back to Jerusalem. Heads up, Zion means Jerusalem. And what is Jerusalem? It's where God is, where God dwells, where God promises to be. And why does he do this? He tells us out of his unconditional love. He says, I am a father to Israel And so, we get to our gospel reading. And what do we encounter in the gospel reading? Well, it's rich with meaning. It's rich with uh, symbolism, to be sure. And uh, it's one of the most one of the most beautiful pericopes or readings from the New Testament. 
Because it is Jesus, it is God coming down, becoming man, and going and grabbing by the wrist, pulling up those that are lost in exile, his people still, and bringing them back home. They came to Jericho, right, where God promises to go and find them in the north country where Hezekiah was defeated, blinded, and brought to exile. Jesus goes there, way, way up north, way far from Jerusalem, where God promises to dwell, right? And he, uh, he meets this blind beggar. Um, the blind beggar, right? The least of the least. He's blind. He's a beggar. He can't do anything. He can't do a dance for money, right? He can only beg. He's like you or I. We don't always have eyes to see what the Lord would have us to see when we are going about our day to day. It isn't until later that Jesus reveals to us how we encountered him or how uh, the Lord was working through that tough time, that terrible time, even good times. Because sometimes you're like, man, all this good stuff that's happening, it's because I worked really hard, right? And so it's not until later, maybe even when you're in old age, that you say, wow, all that good stuff, that came right from the hand of the Lord. I am but a beggar. I am but a blind beggar. I only receive from God. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. But moving on, the blind beggar, beggar, it's so interesting because he calls out for the first time in the Gospel of Mark this very specific title for Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, the little thing at the beginning of the bulletin, it's interesting how it interprets it. It it says that uh, this was a claim, a, uh, a scary claim to authority. And so if Caesar or a soldier were to hear that, oh, this king is walking around doing stuff, that's dangerous. That is a challenge to my authority. And that is in part what it is. But it's also the blind beggar who is a part of the faithful remnant, one of those few that is faithful to the Lord that has been in exile for so long, far away from the promised land, not living in Jerusalem, living in Jericho, blind, begging, crying out with pleas of mercy, as Jeremiah predicted, and asking for Jesus by name. Jesus, son of David, rightful king, the anointed one, the one who will rule over all things, have mercy on me. And what's so interesting is that they try to hush him up. They try to rebuke him. They try to make him quiet, just like they did to the people trying to bring the children to Jesus. Do you remember that? But he cries out all the more. more. He won't be uh, silenced. He won't be stopped because he's doing what he ought to do. He's coming to the Lord in mercy with tears, pleading for mercy. Please, Lord, deliver me. Bring me home. 
And so Jesus, you know, he, he stops and he says, you know, go and get him. The uh, disciples, he says the apostles, so apostle, apostello, the one who is sent. That could be you, that could be me. Because we're all sent by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, right? They go and they grab them and they pick them up and they say, rejoice, get up. He's calling you, right? God is making good on his promise from the Old Testament. He is calling you the faithful remnant and bringing you home. Finally, he throws off his cloak. He springs up. He comes to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you were reading through Mark in one go, it was uh, written to be read in one go uh, for the public hearing and to get the gist of the story of Jesus in like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Um, You'd notice that right before this, Jesus asked the same question of James and John. He says, what would you have me do for you? And they say, we want to sit at your right and your left hand. We want to be up there when you die. We want to take your place. We know you like us more than the other ones. So, and Jesus says, to be greatest, you have to become the least. And they say, oh. And so now Jesus is asking this man who's blind, what do you want me to do for you? And the man doesn't want bells and whistles. He doesn't want stuff. He wants restoration. He wants to be whole again. He wants to see, right? And when he can see, that means he gets to go back to Jerusalem and go to church. That's all he wants. He wants to live with his family He wants to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. He wants to sing the psalms that they've been singing in exile for hundreds of years. He wants to worship the Lord who promised to deliver him and is going to right now. So Jesus heals him. He immediately recovers his sight. And it's so interesting. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. You know, so that maybe that means ah, I'm going to go to the library and then I'm going to get dinner and then I'm going to go home and I'm watch TV. It's going to be a night for me. <sighs> no. He does go his way, but it's so weird that what his way now is, is immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, followed Jesus on the way. All of a sudden, his way is now Jesus's way. Because he has saving faith in the Lord Jesus, it is now Jesus who lives in him. His way is now Jesus' way. We fit ourselves into God's greater story of salvation. And where is the way? They're not going to just stumble along through a grassy field that's beautiful. No. What are they going to do? They are on the way to Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? Specifically to Jesus. He's going to first be welcomed triumphantly into the the city. But then he's going to get arrested. All sorts of people are going to have false testimony against him. They're going to start, you know, like whipping him. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Passion of the Christ. Wasn't a good time. 
They're going to put a crown of thorns on his head. They're going to mock him, even mock praise him. He's going to die. He's going to accept this death through his obedience to his father for the sake of your sins and my sin too. And he's going to die and he's going to rise again. And this is the way that he has brought us on. To leave everything behind and to follow him. Sometimes to triumphal uh, welcome. Oh, wow, you're a Christian too. But also, oh, you're a Christian? I don't agree with what you say about. And so it begins. You're called to suffering. And also in suffering, when you get diseases, when you encounter all kinds of trouble, when people lie about you, you're called to endure that suffering. Because through that suffering, through that cross, you daily die with Jesus, you daily rise with Jesus. Through that death, through that suffering, you will rise to eternal life. And that promise is for you. All of us, blind beggars though we be, we only receive mercy from Jesus Christ when we put our trust in him and follow him on the way. Amen.